0: Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter.
1: This is the interview edition of the TSN MMA Show. I am your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we have a great deal of interviews to get through today, one of which I'm particularly fond of, and I'll explain that in just a little bit. But let's run down who will be on this week's interview edition and why we did an interview edition this week. So obviously with the PFL championships behind us, I really wanted to get that out as soon as I could in terms of a, an analysis of that, in terms of the breakdown of that particular event. And I knew that my interviews were going to be a little bit later in the week. So wanted to get that out. And as a separate podcast, we're, we're going back to the interview edition for this week. And I think it'll fluctuate week to week as to whether or not we do an interview edition. It will depend on how much news there is, how much reaction there is, and all of that. But let's get right into it. We'll start off with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Always love speaking to this guy because it seems like our conversations just always, you know, they, they, we talk about his career, but we also talk about all of the other things that he's into. And he's a very interesting individual, and uh, really one of the, the great ambassadors of mixed martial arts. You know, if, if you have somebody, a friend, family member, who says, "Oh, these guys are," you know, in MMA, they're, you know, they're just uh, bloodthirsty animals. Then you know, something along those lines. They're the crazy. Um, misconceptions that people have about this sport. I would just show them like a video of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson talking, doing his thing. Maybe the uh ESPN did a, I think it's called the journey you know, journey to UFC fight, this thing along those lines. You see him um teaching children karate and, and giving back to his community. I feel like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is somebody who will inspire just about anybody who Gets to interact with him in, in whether it's with him personally or, or just interact with his life. I think he's just a, a great role model and a great ambassador, like I mentioned, for this sport. So, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson joins us, as does his opponent Kevin Holland, who uh, you know I, a lot of my interviews with both of them talk about them being on a podcast together. You know, Kevin Holland invited Wonderboy on as a guest on his podcast recently. You can check that out on YouTube and. I thought that it was a really interesting insight into two guys that, you know, there's no bad blood. They just, they're going to be opponents, and they are chatting with each other, learning more about each other. I thought that was a nice, you know, um, change of pace that we don't often get with some of these mixed martial artists. Also on the show, former lightweight champion. Moving back to the welterweight division, Rafael dos Anjos joins the show. Nice catching up with him, hearing where he's at in terms of his mentality towards his career seems to have changed since his loss to Raphael Fazib, and you can hear about that in the interview that I conducted with him. And the final member of this weekend's card that I spoke to is Amanda Hibas, who is competing in the flyweight division once again this weekend, but is looking to bounce between two divisions. And she's just such a positive light when you get to speak with her as well. It's similar to a Wonderboy Thompson, you know, I, I feel like Amanda Hibas is one of those people that it's very difficult to dislike because she's always smiling, she's got a great um, energy about her. And I I always enjoy speaking to her for that reason. Now, the interview that I really enjoyed doing this week, and it was one that I honestly dreaded doing. I wouldn't say dreaded is probably a little bit of an overreaction, but I've been watching the lead-up to the Danny Sabatello fight uh, with Ralfion Stotts, as well as Danny Sabatello's Bellator run. And there's just... You know, he is who he is, and he's very brash. He's very in-your-face. He likes to swear a lot. He's very... um, you know, he, he is who he is. I, I think a lot of people are probably put off by him and his personality. But personally, you know, I, when, when I was speaking to him and going into the interview, I thought, you know, this is going to be another one of those kind of shtick interviews, and I'm going to get bored of it quickly. Couldn't be further from the truth when I spoke to Danny Sabatello. Um, you know, there are sometimes some where I, I finish an interview and I say, wow, that was really a great interview. And this was one of those times because I feel like I really got to speak to the real Danny Sabatello, the hardworking guy who just about a year ago was rejected from the Dana White Contender Series. Or sorry, two years ago, rather. Was won a fairly dominant decision on the Contender Series. And Dana White didn't like his wrestling-based style, his grapple-heavy approach. And said, thanks, but no thanks. He went back to Titan FC to defend his bantamweight championship and since then, in the span of 18 months or so, has defeated Brett Johns, Jornel Lugo, and Leandro Higo. Three really, really solid bantamweights in Bellator. Big step up in competition for him. And I was really able to kind of peel back the layers of the onion with him and hear about his process, hear about how he came up and him talking about you know losing against Erwin Rivera... Uh, about three years ago and what that meant to his career. Just really a great insight into uh, the competitor, Danny Sabatello. Kind of stripped away a lot of the shtick that we're used to hearing in the lead-up to this fight. Some of it, of course, is there because he's... uh, You know, I feel like that is who he is to an extent as well. But just getting to hear him speak... More from a a mixed martial arts standpoint rather than putting on uh, you know, really, I guess the hyperbolic character that we're accustomed to, I thought that was a great change of pace. So hopefully you'll think the same way when you hear the interview with Danny Sabatella. Because I'm very proud of it, and uh, I, I really appreciate his approach to this interview and, and for, um, you know, being being able to kind of step outside of the Danny Sabatella that we're, I guess, accustomed to. And not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not... I'm not I just don't think it's for everybody, necessarily. And that's not to speak uh, ill of him as a person. I, I think that... If anything, I've I've gained a whole lot of respect for him after uh, this conversation, so shout-out to Danny Sabatello. Uh, and his opponent, Ralfion Stotts. I spoke with him as well. Got a uh, nice conversation with him. He's uh, somebody I hadn't spoken to before, so it was nice to speak with Rafion, who is the current interim bantamweight champion of Bellator, and will be taking on Danny Sabatello at Bellator 289 on December the 9th. Coming up quick, next Friday. And finally... Couldn't go without speaking to Olivier Oban mercier who brought home the million dollars and won the lightweight tournament in, in the PFL. Canada needed a win in MMA, and he brought it home. So we speak to Olivier Oban mercier So without further ado, let's get to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, followed by Kevin Holland, Rafael dos Anjos, Amanda Hibas, Danny Sabatello, Ralph Stotz, and Olivier Oban mercier right here on the TSN MMA show. Always a pleasure to be joined by Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And uh, I was watching earlier today; you were on Kevin Holland's podcast of all places. Seems like you guys have a nice mutual respect for each other. But when I asked Kevin about it earlier, it seems like uh, he's he's done playing games now. It's it's he's dialed in and ready to to face Wonderboy. You got to be, man.
0: You got to be. And, and such in myself as well. Yeah, I was on his podcast. We got to uh, hang out a little bit, and of course, hang out here uh, during media media day. But uh, you know, whenever we step out there, it's business. You know, we gotta go out there and do what we gotta do. We gotta take care of our families and um
1: and do our thing. So excited about this one Saturday. Now he refused to answer this question because I know a lot of the fighters and coaches aren't supposed to bet on things, but I'm making this up entirely. There's no way you could actually bet on this. If somebody was to say you have to take the over or under twenty seconds on the ground in this five round fight, would you take the over or under? Oh man, I don't know if I can answer that one either, man. <laughs> it's not a real betting line. No, I said the same thing to Kevin. You can't bet on this anywhere. I'm just, I'm making up a hypothetical here. And I'm just curious as to what you think. I don't know, man. That's a, that's a, such a good one because,
0: uh, man, he's such a good fighter, and I've been working on everything as well. So I don't know. What would
1: you pick? What would you pick? I'm taking the under. I, I think You're that this is. Under? A, I think this is like a five-round kind of kickboxing style match, and, and whether or not that benefits. Him, I mean, I'm sure in his mind it does, but obviously that's your bread and butter. Yeah, man, that is my bread and butter. I think we're going to go with the same. But
0: that said, I wouldn't look past him to try to get me down or use the cage or try to throw a submission up there. Um, so I got to be prepared for every step of the way,
1: every moment out there in that five, five minute round fight. I wonder with Kevin, because I feel like it would almost be like a sense of pride for him to have been able to stand with you for as long as the fight lasts. I feel like in his mind, he's like, yeah, I can handle this guy. I think possibly. I mean, he's
0: a very confident, a uh, confident guy, and not only that, but he's, you know, he's six three. He's got an eighty-one inch reach, um, so that's going to be very difficult to prepare, you know, to prepare for. Not only that, but to navigate, you know, throughout the fight, I got to stay away, I got to get in, and I got, I got to
1: get out. So I think he's going to use that to his advantage. That's for sure. So I'm an avid viewer of the show Cobra Kai, and you were on this last season, but then you kind of disappeared. So what happened? Just shooting schedules uh, weren't working yeah. with your training. That's exactly what happened. I mean, they wanted me to be a, be a
0: part of the main bad guy cast, you know, the the Sensei and um one of the bad guys. But they decided to shoot filming during the week I was there for the Bilal fight, getting ready for it during fight week. So they had a time crunch. They weren't able to change it. So they told me they would keep they would keep me in there as a cameo, but hopefully eh, I'll be on the sixth season. They were they were
1: telling me that. So I feel like they met you and they realized that you're just not believable as a bad guy, and then they just scrapped the whole story. Well, yeah, they
0: were like, "Nope, can't do." It. I know I had like a scar on my face. I just, I don't know. I just can't look mean. <laughs> Did you um, have to that, like audition for that, it and act? The audition? Is that
2: threatening? I mean, uh, I kind of know
1: I, you. If I didn't know you and I saw you walking down the street with that scowl, I, I, maybe uh, I'll buy it. Oh my god! I got to
0: work on that. I got to work on my acting skills. That's for sure. <laughs> Did you have to rehearse for it though? Like, do they do they bring you in and say like, "Okay, act like a bad guy." Uh, no, I actually didn't have to rehearse or anything. They, they had me go out there. They, they put me up and they were just going to be like, just go for it. So I was like, cool. I was supposed to be some bad guy Russian. We did a few, we did a bunch of, uh, fight scenes and things like that. So, uh, um, choreography and it was a lot of fun though. It got, and it, it got me an inside look on what it was like to be a part of something like that right? And what it takes, the hours and hours. They literally would do a very small portion of the fight scene for hours on end. I'm like, oh my goodness, I had no idea that these guys went through all this.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost like excessive to a point when, you, when you're actually on a set and you see how many times they're doing these over and over again. You're like, I feel like you could have just used the one three takes ago. It would have been fun.
0: Oh, I know, man. That's what I'm saying. But no, they were just out there doing it over and over and over again. How are you guys not exhausted right now? But uh, it it gave me a whole lot of respect for actors. You know, imagine a Mission Impossible movie and what that takes, you know, and not just a fight scene. But, you know, I saw recently where uh, Tom Cruise drove, literally rode a motorcycle off of a mountain and had to, you know, he was like parachute off of it. And he did that himself i'm like what at 62 or 63 years old the guy's a maniac so i don't know how many times they had to do just that one
1: i have no idea i did learn today that the uh the scene from big you know where they're on the keyboard with tom hanks oh yeah that was done on the first take and they just they went with it what yeah he what? apparently practiced it on like a cardboard keyboard for months and then when it was go time he just he had it down wow that was i mean that shows
0: the kind of actor he is you know what i mean to be able to do that—that's crazy. Yeah,
1: it's pretty. It's pretty unreal. Pretty, um, <laughs> yeah.
0: Pretty, pretty impressive. That's for sure.
1: Now I imagine you're probably not the type of guy to get starstruck, but when you met like Danny Larusso, I'm sure you grew up in the Karate Kid. Was that like? Did you get starstruck when you met him?
0: Man, I wasn't starstruck, but it was really cool meeting those guys. I mean, they were obviously uh, big fans. Um, I was big fans of them, and they're UFC fans, which was cool to be there. They thought it was awesome that me and Tyron were there. But it was a ton of fun just hanging out with those guys and talking with them and kind of picking their brains a little bit. And uh, they stuck with karate they, since the '80s. They've been they've been training martial arts, so I think that's pretty epic how the martial arts can kind of you know turn people into martial artists who've never done it before, like Keanu Reeves, for instance. You know, in doing uh, the Matrix, now
1: he trains jujitsu and and has uh, been doing it ever since. And what's it like spending time with Tyron, like just as, I guess, as actors, you guys spent 50 minutes in a cage together, two very close fights. A lot of people thought you won that second fight. I mean, what's it, what's it like kind of taking that wall down and just being two dudes that are hanging out on a set? So
0: cool, man. So cool. I mean, we, we enjoyed, uh, hanging out with each other for sure. We got to hang out, talk. I got to, uh, you know, pick his brain about the, the MMA world, what he thinks about it and what he's doing now. So it's a ton of fun, man. It was a lot of fun.
1: I think like a trilogy in karate combat in like three years. What do you think?
0: <laughs> I know he's a karate guy now. I mean, he's in Cobra Kai. He's
1: he's a karate guy now. Sells itself. <laughs> <laughs> now I know you're, a, you're an avid gamer. I recently got this Oculus and I saw, I was looking up videos for tips on how to win a Thrill of the Fight and found videos of you playing it. So... The Oculus? Yeah, the the, the VR. Uh, and you played the uh, the boxing, the thrill of the fight game.
0: Oh, yeah, man. That was a ton of fun. And to be honest with you, like, if you're not ready for it, like, you'll put you in some really good shape. We did the boxing. I'm sitting there going all out, and I'm just rocking, man. I mean, we did like three, five, five, three five, three-minute rounds, and I was exhausted. I was like, man, I mean, this could definitely get you in shape for a fight, Put some, put some, like, weighted – you know, bracelets or wristbands on and footwork. I wish they had like a kickboxing one. That would be cool.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping that the future Oculus has ones you can attach to your feet. I, like I feel like it would kind of double the amount of effectiveness for exercise. It yeah. would give you all kinds of options.
0: Oh, 100, percent man! And with the, the Oculus has so many, so many things that that they could they could do and change, which would benefit us. You know, because right now people are playing video games, just sitting down all day. You're not getting in shape doing that. But with the Oculus, man, and to be able to run around and, you know, fight other fighters and it, 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 it there's so much that they can
1: do with it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it reminds me of how much I don't like boxing because you you get knocked down. It doesn't matter. Like I look at this, the tally at the end of five rounds that I've landed like 1300 punches, the other guys landed 70 and I'm losing because of the 10. Yeah, no, like, what the heck? Come on now. I know. That's what
0: I hate about it. But I look at it as like a, more of a workout than anything. But the, the whole virtual thing is pretty dope. Like they, they're getting to the point now where you can sit there and watch MMA fights, you know, virtually. Watch, I know Dana White was showing that. I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. A, a couple of years ago, for, it was Max Holloway and Jose Aldo. I think the one in Rio. And uh, they were, they did a pilot test for it on, I guess at the time was the Samsung VR. And I remember trying yeah. it out. They sent me like one to, to try out at the time. And I was oh, like, I, I was like just watching Bruce Buffer during the fight, just watching him sitting cage side and talking. And it's just, it's weird that you can just kind of look at whatever. It's almost like you're in the arena. It's, it's wild. How do they do that? Do they set up cameras or something? Like, they I don't must. know. Yeah, they must have, they three, have like 360 cameras everywhere.
0: Yeah, everywhere. I mean, how do people now knock them over or whatever? I thought, I thought that's just incredible to me. It's it's going it's getting to the point where it's like uh, have you seen the movie Ready Player One? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, you're missing out, bro. You got us. Watch it tonight, Ready Player One. Amazing. Can like, I watch it with my I, my 12 year old son?
1: it it's appropriate. Uh, yeah, it's appropriate. I okay. think I think I think you would like it. All right, Ready Player One. Okay, I'll write, I'll Ready jot that Player one down. All right.
0: I think it's a Steven Spielberg movie. But it's a gaming, like where gaming is kind of taking over and VR, like you're, you're in another universe. It's it's really cool. You would love it. I think your kid would love it too. How old
1: is he? He's, he's 12. Oh, sweet. Yeah. He would love it. All right. Cool. Because I remember there was this movie back in the day. It was a horror movie called Evolver, which nobody heard of. It was like the straight to VHR, VHS movie back in the day. Oh, we- with like yeah. a uh, laser tag playing robot that turns evil and starts to ki- to kill people in real life. It's an awesome movie, but it's like it's straight to... I mean, you're, you're mentioning Spielberg, so this is obviously a movie that people know about. But this is this is a movie called Evolver where they, they have this robot that they win a contest. And it's a laser tag playing robot that turns evil and starts like throwing razor blades and stuff at them.
0: That's crazy. What in the world? You watch the whole yeah, thing so on YouTube.
1: Check this one out.
0: I'll have to check that out. It's called
1: Revolver? <laughs> Evolver. 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 Okay. Yeah. Because it evolves into you know, worst stages of becoming a killing machine. Yeah. Okay. I have to check that out for sure. It might it's, be a total said, waste so, of time. So, I, I liked it when I was a kid, but you know, it's, it probably hasn't aged well over 20 years. Actually, probably 30 years at this point. You send it to me. I gotta go look at it. <laughs> you and I are around the same age. And I watched it, I guess when I was younger. So it's like, yeah, I was probably like 30 years old me, now I, at this point. I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it. Well, like I mentioned, it wasn't exactly very well. It was more of a cult, cult classic. So I can't blame uh, you for not hearing about it. Got you. Well, anyhow, it's this weekend. Yourself, we've veered way off the path here, Stephen, but that's the way it goes that's when okay. I talk to you. You're just a, an easy guy to talk to. But yourself, Kevin Holland, uh, it's this Saturday, main event UFC fight night. What do you think is the, the thing he's going to try to do to throw you off of your game? What, what would be his path to success against Wonder Boy? Or is it, you know, I think a lot of people feel like they know how to beat you until they get in there against you. Yeah, man, I, I think he's going to try to keep the fight standing.
0: Now, would I throw a pass him to try to go for a Hail Mary move and try to take me down or something? Yes. So I got to be prepared for that. But I think he's going to use his reach, his distance management, which he's very good at. Keep using his reach. He's got an advantage on that. So I think that uh, is
1: what he's going to be trying to do. So I got to be able to navigate that and come out with the win. And final question. I spoke to Rafael dos Santos, who's now back in your division, on the same card. And after his last loss to uh, Rafael Faziv, he says my title days are behind me, and you know I'm not going for a title anymore. Um, I'm just going to enjoy enjoy this career. I love doing this. Um, I'm going to make as much money as I can before I retire. He actually might surpass Frankie Edgar this weekend as the most minutes in octagon history. Uh, but are you at a point now where wow. you're 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 still looking at the championship? I keep hearing you talk about this in, in interviews. Are you going to yeah. continue your career with that mentality until you retire? That like you're in this. To win the championship, and there's really no other alternative. For me, that's what it is. I mean, I mean, why not have some epic
0: fights along the way? But that's always number one in my book is is going for the gold. I feel like if you're not going for it, then why be there? I know a lot of guys make it for the money, but I'm trying to better myself in every way possible, and in getting to that belt is the way to go.
1: Well, there's no fighter in UFC history that does what Stephen Wonderboy Thompson does as well as Stephen Wonderboy Thompson does it. So. As long as you're in the cage, we're always excited to watch you do your thing. Uh, Thank you for this, and best of luck on Saturday. Thank you, my friend. Definitely a pleasure. I will see you soon. Kevin Holland is in the main event of this weekend's UFC Fight Night card against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I just got done watching him on your podcast, and I'm thinking, how is this guy going to fight Wonderboy? Like, the amount of admiration
3: you have for him and
1: uh, all of the stuff that he does in his community, it just seems like it was really coming through in that uh, podcast.
3: Yeah, Wonderboy is a hell of a guy. He's an amazing human being. I'm going to knock him the fuck out.
1: But it's, just, it's business, right? I mean, that's the way you're approaching it?
3: Yeah. Doesn't matter.
1: Are you able to kind of remove the face from the name? You know you know what I mean? Like, when you go in there, do you picture him as Steven Wonderboy Thompson, or just the, this guy you're fighting on that night?
3: No, I picture him as a dragon of martial artist standing across from me who's going to get his face punched in with my sword.
1: I like that approach. That's interesting. I mean... Is it a different approach for every opponent you have? Like, when you, when you see them standing across the cage from you at the start of a fight, th- does every single one of them have kind of a different feel for you?
3: Yeah, I mean, every fight's a fight, you know. Uh, never kind of really know what it's going to be until you get there. And uh, usually when I get there, I always feel the same fucking way. Good as hell.
1: <laughs> there was a message that you had put out that you were thinking of retiring or that you had retired. You mentioned that you thought the media made too big of a deal of this, but you're 30 years old and nobody wants to see you retire. So I think people were a little bit uh, bummed out that we might not get a chance to see you compete again. What made you change your mind and, uh, I guess, go in a different direction?
3: I asked for something wonderful and magnificent. They gave me something wonderful and magnificent. So here I am. I I got more fights on my contract.
1: Was that more uh, of an opponent in terms of uh, the fantastic thing you were looking for, or was it also Financial.
3: Financial. I'm financially set after the Jamayev grappling match.
1: <laughs> yeah, I saw the video. I was actually in, in contact with your uh your manager at the time. He said that you know it was it was a little bit spotty as to whether or not a deal was actually gonna get done, that they were gonna hit that number. And uh, I saw you do a little bit of a jig and uh, the number came through. You were happy with it. Yes.
3: Yeah, they hit the number I asked for, so it works out magnificently. And that was just kind of a one
1: fight thing that didn't really count as part of your deal, is that correct? Yeah, just one time deal. And now with Wonder Boy, you got a five-round fight. In the interview you did with him, you said, "I don't know why I ever take five-round fights." Um, but in this situation, do you think that because of the stylistic matchup, that it makes more sense for you to have a five-round fight under these circumstances?
3: No, I really, honestly, uh, I always play with you guys and be like, "I don't know why I took five rounds." I mean, it sucks during the camp because you have to do extra work, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't give a fuck if it was twenty rounds. I'm down to fight.
1: You're sitting with crew Bob Perez out in Houston uh, and have been for a little bit of time. And in terms of striking knowledge, I mean, this guy's such a, a fountain of knowledge when it comes to that particular realm. How helpful has he been for this particular fight? Because obviously, Wonder Boy is a real puzzle for anybody to solve.
3: Uh, not just this fight. I mean, every fight, period. Doesn't matter if it's a striker, doesn't matter if it's a grappler, doesn't matter who it is. You know, Bob does his homework, Bob pays attention. Bob.
4: There's a coach that cares,
3: you know? And like, uh, it's not much more you can ask for than having coaches that care. You know, I have teammates that care and I have coaches that care, I have people that care about me and my life. And it's, you know, <laughs> there's not very much more you can ask for than that. Uh, and then you have Wonder Boy, getting ready for the Wonder Boy fight. Uh, nothing against Bob, nothing against myself, nothing against anybody, but I was doing Kung Fu way before I met any of these coaches I'm around today. And uh, I think a fight like this, I was primed for a long time ago. So it's a good fight to have. This
1: fight's scheduled for 25 minutes, and I know UFC fighters aren't allowed to oh, bet. Oh, shit. I thought it was 30. <laughs> okay, well, now you're, now you're definitely long. prepared if you thought it was 30.
3: <laughs> i been working out too long. one knows I was bad at math.
1: With a scheduled for 25, though, I know you're not allowed to bet on any of these fights, but if there was a line over under 20 seconds on the ground in this fight, are you taking the over or the under?
3: Uh... I'm not allowed to answer that. I don't want to be like James Prouse to possibly be facing 36 it's, months. It's not a prison. real
1: line. You can't bet this anywhere. So it's a, hy- it's a total hypothetical.
3: Doesn't matter. They always say that's not a real crime until you're locked up for it.
1: <laughs> well, I would give you my personal assurances, but I'm sure that's not worth that all that much too. Uh, yeah, you're it, a lawyer. <laughs> in terms of uh, the fight being in Orlando, being in front of a crowd, not every fight night, of course, these days has been. Uh, how do you like it in Orlando in terms of that being the locale for this fight?
3: Uh, weather's beautiful here. People seem, so far they seem pretty well. Uh, can't complain whatsoever. Uh, the true BMF is in town, so it's good to know, huh?
1: And another thing I learned from uh, your interview with Steven is that you have been kind of conditioned to be a superhero. You know, all of these things that come up uh, where you happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, but also thankfully for the other people that are around, it's the right place at the right time because you're there to kind of save the day. You mentioned that when you were younger, you guys l- used to listen to, like, police scanners and things like that. Like, your, aunt, I think it was your grandmother uh, had you guys yeah. uh, in-, in the house listening to police scanners. So you feel like that was something that kind of got you attuned to when trouble was going on in in your area? Maybe so. I don't know.
3: Nana used to be a wild motherfucker. I love the hell out of her, though. She was, Lord rest her soul, but Nana was the one right there. But she was always fun. She always found a way to make something interesting.
1: What was your upbringing like when when you were growing up? Was it
3: different than a lot of other kids, or what was, it was your experience It like? was it's it was my business and nobody else's. I don't choose to dwell on my past to try and get more spotlight in my future. It's stupid, you know. Don't cry over spilled milk and don't cry over a good great glass of milk. Whatever it was, it was. And right now, I'm one hell of a man taking care of his family. That's all that matters.
1: All right. So, what's your situation like now? What, what, you know, how are you uh, enjoying living in Houston and, and enjoying? Uh, Having that as your place where where you've decided to reside.
3: I I train in Houston, but I live in Fort Worth, Texas. And I love living in Fort Worth, Texas. I have a pretty cool house that I can't complain about. I'm a single father. My son is uh, well taken care of. Uh, Every once in a while, my ex comes into town. A lot of times, the new girls come over and I have a blast with them. I think I'm in love with one of them. I don't think I'm in love with all of them. So, hey, it is what it is. Life's life and I'm in love the fuck out of it. (laughs) So when you're in camp,
1: you live in Houston, basically, and then
3: outside of that, you go back to Fort Worth, or you commute. I guess it's what like a four-hour drive. Yeah, I just drive my ass off. I love driving. I used to drive 17 hours to go to Vegas to see my son when I didn't have a full time. Uh, when I lived in California, I would drive three and a half to four hours to Vegas to go see my son. A drive never bothered me. I got really, really nice cars, you know. So it's kind of hard to turn down a good drive.
1: What do you do on your drive? What do you listen to?
3: uh just depends i listen to my cousin mgf bandit i listen to young boy i listen to baby i listen to a lot of hip-hop every once in a while i'll put on some uh reggae or you know it just depends on the vibe you know sometimes i ride four hours with no music at all talk on the phone to a couple different people smoke my cush, and ultimately just vibe out you know just thinking about what i'm going to do for the podcast or how life's gonna go next week, or what possibly new food that I wanna learn how to cook for my son. Different shit like that.
1: Feel so like having Kevin time, where you kind of have time and space to think.
3: Yeah, I gotta always have Kevin time. If I don't have Kevin time, then things get really bad. Do you listen to Why podcasts? Do you,
1: do you listen to any podcasts or anything like that? Huh? Do you listen to any podcasts or anything like that? Anything long form?
3: What do you mean, like, oh, when I'm driving, do I listen to podcasts? Oh, no, no, no. It's crazy that I have a podcast. I don't listen to anybody else's podcast. I know that's pretty messed up to say. Uh, I probably should to get like notes and figure out what's the best thing and what's the worst thing to do. But no, uh, I just, I kind of just focus on, you know, just myself, bro. I don't really worry about anybody else or anything else. You know? I,
4: you actually, my kid. I
1: actually think that's a good approach because then you're just going to be yourself on the podcast. You don't need to try to get tips from other people. I feel like being Kevin Holland has been what's, uh, what's got you to where you are. It's,
3: it seems like you, uh, you yeah. aren't really
1: taking notes from other people.
3: Yeah, I love being I love being Kevin Holland. You know, being Kevin Holland is uh it's a really good part in life, you know. <laughs> it's
1: fun. I did notice you got into some sort of uh, altercation backstage at this last event. What happened there? It seemed like oh, the, the cast of Black Panther was coming after you.
3: Yeah, Wakanda was trying to jump me. I didn't have my Boost Mobile phone to call my people from Tijuana, but now that I got my Boost Mobile phone, I call my people from Tijuana to take care of the people from Wakanda and everything is okay.
1: Okay, well, I'm glad that situation's been squared up then. Always a pleasure speaking with you, Kevin. Best of luck this Saturday's the main event UFC Fight Night. Yourself, Wonderboy, it uh, will be a pleasure for us to watch, and we uh, always enjoy your time.
3: Thank you very much, brother. Appreciate you.
1: Rafael Dos Anjos takes on Brian Barberena this weekend in Orlando at UFC Fight Night, and he may break a very important record. Do you know what that record is? I think it's the most uh, hour on
5: the octagon. Right?
1: Yeah, most time. Frankie Edgar... He's trying to stay ahead of you, but now he's retired. He can't get any more minutes in. So you might be able to overtake him for the most time spent in the octagon. 33 fights in. How does that feel? Does it seem like it went by fast?
5: Uh, no. It was a long <laughs> it was a
1: long run. But it
5: feels good, man. Uh, I still have a lot on me. And uh, just thankful to be, like, healthy and full of energy to do my fight camps. And, uh... I'll stay, a while. I stay around for a while.
1: Well, We're thankful to have you as well. Your fights have always been very exciting over the years. And now you're in a tailor-made exciting fight against Brian Barberena. This fight should be uh, a very exciting one. You're back at welterweight. What made you decide to go back to 170 pounds? And are you looking to stay at 170 pounds going forward?
5: Yeah, I think uh, I had a, you know, I dropped weight and uh, I made 55s again. I was on my title run but unfortunately the last one didn't went did not went according to plan. Uh I lost the fight and now I, man, I say I just wanna, you know, be able to compete. I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be uh, uh not gonna be killing myself, you know, making that uh uh effort to make weight if I'm not planning to fight for the title anymore. So I had my last title run. I'm looking forward to, you know, to have fights that excites me. Um, I'm not ready to retire yet. I still have, I still have the energy. I still like training well. And I don't think uh, it's going to happen soon, but uh I say hundred and seventy, it's uh it's a good for me because you know, I can work, I can still make money, I can be competitive with those guys and I'm up, you know, I'm you know, at this stage of my career I'm relevant in two divisions. I think I can be relevant at fifty five, I can be relevant at uh hundred and seventy pounds. But if that's the right fight for me at one, 155, I will drop again. You know, depends. You know, all depends.
1: Now, you talk about your last title run. It's no longer happening. You've moved to 170 pounds. You're a former champion. So it's a little bit easier for someone like yourself to say, you know what? I think my days of competing to be a champion are behind me. So. What do you do in terms of your mentality? What changes in terms of your goals? Is it mostly financial at this point? You know, try to win bonuses, try to make as much as you can while you're still enjoying the game?
5: Yeah, uh, first of all, uh, I still, I'm i still healthy, you know, and uh, I, I, I like to compete. And also, I need to provide for my family as well and uh, <coughs> move back to Brazil it was a great point for me too to be uh, to be like more motivated to training uh, because you know I changed the whole environment around me, moved country, and uh, it's uh, it, it helped me a lot to to be motivated and keep training. But I think man, I, 170 pound, I can be competitive too. Uh I'm training really well I'm, like heavier and uh get good partners good trainers in Brazil but man I you know like I'm 38 years old I still feel that I still have a lot on me so I'll be around for around for a while
1: It makes me feel old that you're younger than I am I mean I, I mean, I've been watching MMA for such a long time I've watched your entire career but it feels like feels like you should be older I mean it should be, you should be older than 38 for the amount of time I've spent watching your career so so you brought your family back to Brazil That was very important for you for your children to grow up in Brazil and go to school in Brazil does that make it a lot easier for you to train because you're happier you feel like you're more at home yeah
5: because we spent uh, I was in California for 10 years for the last 10 years and uh, I went to Brazil to do a fight camp with Andre Pederneira, in Nova União and I enjoyed it very much I took my family with me and it was during the pandemic and the whole family enjoyed it uh, but my 13 years old he wasn't too happy because of all his friends in california but either way he's happy now he made some friends all- already in brazil my wife was happy because you know we're close to family too mother father and uh it's good and also man uh just get new training get new environment uh be more uh, uh just man just by changing uh everything around
1: you make uh make you feel new and uh
5: it was was
1: a good move what do they miss the most about California? do they talk to you about things that uh, they wish they had in Brazil that they don't have in california ah uh, my kids um my
5: my 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 middle one rafael uh he miss he miss most of his friends you know like just uh, the freedom uh to be around uh we live in Good area, in Orange County. Kids play on the, you know, uh, with their electric bikes all day, and uh, you know, he left home. But in Brazil, we can't do that. We, you know, we, when we go out, we got have to go with them, and we can't let they go out by by themselves. And uh, yeah, that's that's. I think that's what he missed most.
1: Is that something that uh, you'd like to change in the future? Or are you happy staying in Brazil? Do you feel
5: like after your career you're
1: gonna stay where you are now? No, no.
5: After 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 I'm done with my career, I'm definitely moving back to the United States. Uh, uh, yeah, but I, I'm not sure what state yet. But I'm looking. I'm looking. You know, uh, 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 to move back after I'm not. I'm not gonna retire in Brazil.
1: It's not going to be one of those cold states, though. You're not like moving to Ohio or something along the, the Michigan, anything like uh, that?
5: Yeah, my, I, I mean, I'm i on a stage of my life that I, I'm happy to live anywhere, you know. Um, as long as my family's happy, But my wife doesn't like the cold, so no
1: way. <laughs> yeah, usually when I speak to people from Brazil and I bring that up, they they, they tend to not want to uh, live in the, the colder areas of uh, the United States. I can't blame you. I live in Canada. If I could choose to live somewhere warmer, I'd probably choose the same. Uh <laughs> Now, in terms of uh, Brian Barbarena, how did this fight come together? Because it seemed like a very unlikely pairing when the fight was announced.
5: Yeah. Uh, I, w- I was, you know, trying to to get some fights at 155. And the names that they brought to the table wasn't, uh, I think, because of my position on the rankings. We didn't like any of the names. And, uh, and uh, I said, hey, man. Say so what's the way to get a different fight uh and then they say okay you have to move uh have to get removed from the rankings or you have to go up Say so, yeah, I I think you know my 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 title run's done you know I had my title run so I still like to compete and then I move move up to 170 pounds. and uh and they say okay we have a, we have a, a open for December 3rd and uh, I was maybe planning to fight in Brazil, but since uh, since I have kids and I have family, I have to plan everything around it. And I've done some fight camps in the past that my kids want on school vocation. It's terrible. You can, you can enjoy them. You can do nothing with them. They're all uh, sitting at home all day. And uh, if I fight in Brazil, in, in, in January, I'll, I'll get, I'll miss the whole school break, you know. And I say, if I fight in December, I'll be home in Christmas. We go, we can go somewhere. And then that's why I decided to fight on December third. And the guy that needs a fight was Brian Barberina, and uh, he's on a three-win streak. Uh, he, you know, I like his style. He comes forward, he comes to fight. Uh, I say, well, why not? Let's do it.
1: Did you bring the family with you to go to Disney afterwards, or are you just going back to uh Brazil right away?
5: Nah, going back to Brazil right away. They they have school right now, so they can't come.
1: Well, the Magic Kingdom will have to wait for uh, another time, I guess. Um, yeah. So, so Brian Barberena, you mentioned this is going to be a fun fight, and this is your type of fighter. It's been a while since you've been in a, <laughs> a fight like this, where we kind of know how this one's going to play out. If it plays out on the feet, it could be a, a really exciting fight. Um, are you anticipating getting a bonus for this fight? Because of, again, I think this matchup is really tailor-made for excitement.
5: Yeah, I think we have everything to steal the show. And uh, Brian's a guy that comes, comes forward. I do so. He got a good gas tank. I do so. So it will be a good matchup for the fans. Great show. And I can't wait for Saturday night.
1: One last thing I want to ask you about. Earlier this year, you fought Hanato uh, Moicano. Very short notice for him. He came over and fought you. He said that, you know... He, he thought he put on a good performance given the circumstances. I'm not sure if you saw his last post-fight speech. I wanted to get your uh, impression on that because it uh, seemed to steal the show at Madison Square Garden uh, on a show that had a lot of big moments anyways. Yeah, he
5: did great, man. Henato uh, uh, is, is a tough dude, you know, and uh, got a good win. And uh, I understand. I, I, got, I got his point. You know, we, we have a short career. We got to make as much money as we can. Uh, he got a family as well, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very short period of time that we have to make money,
1: and he got to do what he got to do. Sometimes what you got to do is fight in the cage for seven and a half hours, like like yourself. It could be a record-breaking performance this Saturday. Yourself, Brian Barberena, always a pleasure speaking with you, Rafael, and uh, best of luck on Saturday. My pleasure. Thank you. Amanda Hibas continues to fight in the flyweight division this weekend in Orlando this time taking on Tracy Cortez. The flyweight division, I'm guessing you're not going to say that this is your future home, but do you prefer to fight in the flyweight division, especially during fight week when you don't have to worry quite as much about cutting weight?
6: Yeah. Hello, everybody. Yeah, I, I love to fight. And it, if I can eat more and fight, I love more, you know? <laughs> I'm feeling flyweight. For me, I feel more stronger. And... It's good. I like. It's not my... I don't know if I really stay just in one division because, for me, I like to make a difference. So, if I can fight in both divisions, for me, it's good. All
1: right. Well, you say you want to make a difference. So, I'm I'm thinking you're, you believe that strawweight's a stronger division for you. But that fight against Caitlin Jukagian, who everybody says, if you beat Caitlin Jukagian, you're going to get a title shot for the most part. I mean, she's beaten almost everybody in the division uh, outside of the champion, and, and she just lost her most recent fight. But that was a very, very close fight, which shows me that you're as competitive as anybody in the flyweight division. So why not just stay in the flyweight division?
6: Thank you. It's so good to listen to this. Thank you. Uh, because of that, I want to make something different. I I want to be an liar. I can find this. When you can't watch just in one way. I I like to do something different. I like that. I like to make a difference. So, for me, if I can fight in both divisions, I will fight. It's good because in flyweight, I can take a fight in less than a month. In strawweight, I need to I need to have time to cut weight and everything. In flyweight, I cut weight, but not so hard like a strawweight.
1: So it's a lot of it about just having options. Just when they need somebody at flyweight, you're available, and then if they want to give you a good shot at strawweight, you know, they'll give you a full camp and you can you can do that as well and just see where the where the cards fall, so to speak.
6: Yes, for sure, for sure. And when you said to me I did really good work with with Caitlyn and she she is a uh, I think top 5 in flyweight. Top weight. 3, yeah. Top 3? Yeah. This for me is huge. And now I will fight with top 20, no, 20, no, 12. It's a major opportunity that UFC gives me.
1: Where are you? Are you ranked right now at flyweight?
6: Now for this fight, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but right now, right now you're not ranked. Is that right in, in the flyweight division?
6: Yes, I am 15.
1: Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, because of how close you fought against Caitlin, it would be crazy to me if they didn't rank you in the flyweight division. Because, you know, again, it's a close fight against who I think, at the time, I think she was probably ranked number one or at least number two when you fought her.
6: Yeah, she was number one when I fought her.
1: Yeah, and it was close to getting a win. So, I don't know, 15 doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think you should probably be ranked a lot higher. But I guess that's why you're fighting Tracy Cortez this weekend, so that you can move potentially into the top 10 of this division.
6: Yeah, she is really tough, and she, she is coming with a lot of winnings. And for me she's really smart fighter. It, sometimes we as a fighter we just think with the heart, but for me Tracy she is really smart. She gets the strategy and go in the beginning until the end of the fight. So for me she is smart fighter.
1: What do you think is her strongest attribute? What do you think is she does best uh, compared to some of your previous opponents?
6: This, the strategy. She can do the strategy really good and for me is the the best point of her.
1: So in terms of her strategy, what do you think is going to be when she faces you? If if you were to come up with a plan to beat Amanda Hibas, what would it be?
6: Ah, uh, for me, I think the fight will will have grappling, but we have a lot of striking too because she knows how to strike Uh I'm getting better on the strike, but I think we'll have everything in the fight. And I hope in the end we can get a bonus, because the last fight, I can feel the taste of the bonus, you know? And this is dangerous, because now I want bonus every fight. So I think it will be a excited fight because of that.
1: Well, there are a lot of good fights on this card is uh, here in Orlando. So it's, I don't know if it's going to be the easiest bonus to get, but I don't think that you want to get an easy bonus anyways. I think that you're uh, looking forward to the best version of Tracy Cortez here.
6: Yes, for sure. Or I need to be the best fighter in the card or the best submission, the best knockout, the best the best something we need to do, you know? The best something.
1: In terms of the champions right now, let's look at the two divisions that you want to compete in. You've got Zhang Li, who just beat uh, Carla Esparza. Very, very good performance by her. And then the last time we saw Valentina Shevchenko fight, uh, your fellow countrywoman, Tyler Santos, really uh, gave her a run for her money. Uh, which of those two do you think you would do better against if you had to choose? They said you can, you can pick either to fight. Who do you think Amanda Hibas does better against?
6: I think Shevchenko. Yes. I like his style, but for me, it will be better because now I think in the champion, you know? <laughs>
1: And Tyler Santos did really well against her. It seemed like she came up with a good strategy, which was kind of get her to the ground and try to control her for as much as possible and, and then attack on the ground. Do you think that Valentina is probably going to be working very hard to shore up that part of her game? Because I think Valentina doesn't like to have uh, things that opponents can take advantage of. She likes to kind of be the perfect fighter.
6: <laughs> yes, yes. And sometimes this is danger for the, the, the Valentina because she's, she puts so much pressure on herself and maybe she can be, uh, stop it, but as his might is a warrior mind, maybe she can be better in the next fight. But that, Tayla, did really good. She did amazing strategy. She, she really did a good fight.
1: Well, we're talking about Brazilians that are doing very well, uh, we, of course, have to look at Amanda Lemos, who beat uh, Marina Rodriguez, one of your former opponents. Uh, what did you think of Amanda's performance? Do you think she's next in line for a title shot?
6: I think she needs to do one more fight because it was a little surprise for me because for me, Marina will win. And Amanda did a really good job. But I think for the title, she needs, I think, one more fight.
1: How do you think she generates so much power? It seems like Amanda Lemos, if you look at the stats, at least, at the strawweight division, she's got a lot more power than pretty much anybody we've seen in the division before.
6: She has a good hands, I think she take this hand Aah! and throw, you know she yeah, it's a natural power,
1: <laughs> yeah so you believe there's such a thing as that right like as as just having natural gifts in terms of power that not we don't see a lot of women in the staway division historically that they've had that
6: yeah, it is the technique technical and the strong the time, the right time, the right uh if I punch here, exactly here I throw a punch, and a knockout so she gets all this together and he has everything
1: How do you think your power is at 125 pounds versus at 115 pounds? Do you think that you're going to have more finishes in this division?
6: I hope <laughs> because if I get more more uh, submissions or more winners, it's better for me
1: well, yeah, it makes the fight shorter. I mean, I think that's uh, that's the biggest benefit. And then, of course, there's bonuses. But uh, I don't think that everybody wants to fight 15 minutes. They can avoid it.
6: <laughs> yeah, but we can do 15 minutes. Just it's good to watch. But when have a knockout really crazy or submission really crazy, it's so good to watch, right?
1: Have you been uh, paying attention to the World Cup? I know Brazil is always a team that uh, has has success historically in uh in the World Cup, I know Pele unfortunately was just hospitalized, and hopefully he's going to be okay. But uh, right now, the World Cup with Brazil—it looks like the the team is continues to roll on.
6: Yes, I am watching here, and Bora Brasil. I was watching the all uh, all the games and the players. I don't understand too much the the techniques, no, the rules because there is some rules. Some sometimes I make mistake, but. In Brazil is everybody in parties, do a celebration because it is really national, this soccer.
1: And there's a lot of change going on in Brazil right now. There's a new uh, president's been elected. Um, what, what's what's happening in terms of the country itself? Are you, are you going back to Brazil uh, after this fight or do you mostly just stay in Florida?
6: No, I will go to Brazil. After this fight, I will go to Las Vegas because my friend will fight too. And then I will go to Brazil, to my home, my city that I love too much. So,
1: you're spending the holiday with family in Brazil?
6: Yes, 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 yes. The best place in the world for me is my home, my house. Sometimes my hobby is to be at home. Like, what do you do this weekend? Uh, just stay in the home, my house. I love to do this.
1: Well, that's why this is a good time of year to fight, because you've got Christmas holidays. You can enjoy the holiday season after this fight.
6: Eat a lot. Oh, my goodness.
1: Well, we just had Thanksgiving. I'm sure you had to skip that one uh, in America, which is where you're living right now. But I I wish you all the best for this particular fight in Orlando uh, against Tracy Cortez, and and have a happy holiday back in Brazil. Uh, Best of luck to you in the future, and look forward to seeing more of Amanda Hibas in 2023.
6: I hope so. Thank you. And... Let's go. Saturday, I will fight. Thank you for your vibes for the interview. That's it.
1: This past weekend, we saw the Canadian gangster bring home a million dollars. Will we see the Italian gangster bring home a million dollars? I guess it would be early next year. Bellator 289, December the 9th. Yourself, Ralphie on Stotts. You can bring home the hardware before you bring home the million dollars with a win this weekend with the, or uh, that, that night, Bellator 289, with the interim title on the line. How much are you looking forward to that opportunity?
4: Yeah, I'm very much so looking forward to it. You know, this is a very big fight. This is a very big fight, not just for Bellator, but for MMA in general. Um, it's the last Bellator show of the year, and me and Rafayan are the main event. You know, I look at this fight as actually for the title. You know to me, This isn't an interim belt or an interim title. This is for the actual title, because to me, Sergio Pettis is a bitch, and he's not the fucking champion. Rafian stops right now and I was the champion. So when I do get that gold around my waist next weekend at the Mohegan Sun, December 9th, I will be viewed as the champion.
1: All right, I've got a question for you. What would be a tougher challenge for you? Beating Ralphie on Stotts or not swearing for the remainder of this interview?
4: Uh, probably not swearing. You know, I know I have a potty mouth. I try to contain it as much as possible. Um, but, you know, it's just kind of who I am and it's just kind of how I, how I do things. I just want to
1: see how, if you can do it. I mean, you test yourself every day at American Top Team. And you've tested yourself every day in the world of wrestling prior to uh, your mixed martial arts career. I- I'm wondering if you have the discipline. I just want to—I want to see if you can do it. Do you think you can? I, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> all right, let's give it a let's give it a roll a whirl. But if you can't, you know, listen. I mean, I can't take da- we can take Danny Sabatello out of the gym, but we can't take Danny Sabatello out of Danny Sabatello. Uh,
4: but that's one thing with me is I'm always just pure, and whatever you see on camera is what you're going to get. That's just wholeheartedly me. You know, I have people tell me all the time to stop swearing. Um, in fact, in terms of sponsorships and everything, if I stopped swearing, it would be good. I'd have more scratch in my pocket. But I don't think it would do justice for the fans. I want people to understand exactly who I am. You know, when I do this shit, it's not a front. It's exactly who I am. I'm not putting on some cheesy or corny gimmick. Uh, it's just exactly who Danny Sebatello is. So if I spoke to somebody who knew you back, I guess, in college, what was it,
1: eight years ago or whatever it is, they'd say that this is this is the guy? You're the same as you were back then for the most part?
4: Yep, absolutely. For my whole life, um, you know, I grew up wrestling at a very young age at the age of four years old. Um, And even throughout my wrestling career, I was kind of the same thing. I always had a chip on my shoulder. I was always almost getting thrown out of tournaments. Uh, trying to play mind games with my opponents and everything like that. Uh, if you go back and you look at my career on the regional scene when I just started MMA a few years ago, I was the same exact way. I always wore sunglasses. I always talked the same. If you go and look at interviews of me in college and in high school, I talked all the same. So everybody that knows me and is close with me, they knows this is exactly who I am and they're just excited as well as I am for the world to know exactly who I am.
1: Have you you gotten into a lot of
4: confrontations and fights like outside of
1: wrestling because you're, you're such a brash guy?
4: Yeah. I like to think that I was a good wrestler in my career because I'm a good fighter. You know, I always had my eyes set on fighting even throughout my wrestling career. You know, it's hard to have your mind only on wrestling when you want to put your uh, elbow through somebody's skull. But obviously I had to get through wrestling and have to have my goals and my dreams accomplished before I could even think about MMA. Um, but yeah, I was the same person. Um, I always wrestle tough. I always wrestle hard. I believe in mental warfare, um, and I believe in breaking your opponent. You know, whenever there's somebody that I'm going up against competition that's trying to embarrass me and trying to beat me in a sport, that's just not gonna fly with me. I'm gonna have to hate you. That's just kind of the mindset I am. I'm old school, and, and people are just gonna have to deal with it. And I feel bad
1: for people that have had to confront you because I mean you're a loud guy. I'm sure that you've rubbed people the wrong way, but. You're 135 pounds. People probably think they can have their way with you. But, I mean, I think that they probably uh, would be, you know, very badly incorrect if they tried to, you. <laughs> you know, out, yeah, out in a bar absolutely. or something like that.
4: Yeah, I'm not trying to look for fights anymore, really. You know, I'm never one guy to start the fight. Um, I don't believe in that, and I don't believe in bullying. You know, I've obviously made my mistakes in high school and college, but I'm never somebody that's going to start the fight. But if somebody's going to cross the line and do something, obviously I'm going to have to finish it. Um, The people around me know kind of not to mess with me and they kind of know that I have a bright future and they try to keep my head cool if I'm ever in a sticky situation or anything like that. Uh, But the good thing is, you know what, I feel like I've matured, especially throughout these past few years where my name is getting a little bit brighter and and, uh, people at the bar or whatever, if they try to start something, I'm trying to be a little bit more smart um, especially with this day and age, you know, with people suing and people bringing out their iPhone all the time. And, and everybody isn't really about that life. You know, you'll be in some stupid bar fight, um, but the guy that's trying to start the fight is just trying to look cool in front of a chick or in front of his boys. Um, nobody actually is trying to actual fight. They always want the fight to be broken up. But either way, I don't want to be caught up in any of that. Um, I don't get in bar fights anymore. I, I'm really smart. The only fight I'm looking forward to is doing inside the Bellator cage. Well, there's a place to get humbled. American Top Team is a very good place for
1: that. Uh, who are some of the guys that you train with on the regular? Because uh, it's basically a lion's den, I'm sure, every single day when you walk into that gym.
4: Yeah, it's the best gym in the world down in South Florida at American Top Team. Uh, there's no easy goes. Iron sharpens iron. That's why we are the best gym is because not only do we have the best training partners, but we also have the best coaches. Um, it's crazy when I'm going with Pedro Munoz, a top 10 guy in the UFC, and then my next goal is against Marlon Marais or Adriano Marais. Uh, but I would say Pedro is my number one training partner right now. Uh, he gives really good looks and he's a little bit older and seasoned in his career. So he's kind of been through it all. He gives me advice on everything, whether it's technique or just how to go about things. Um, Edson Barbosa is another one that I train with a lot. I used to train with Hanato Moicano, but now that he's gone up in weight class, he's a little bit too big for me. Um, but yeah, they're just all straight killers. Everybody, uh, Tony Bradley's another guy that I train with a lot, uh, but it, it pretty much it's just everybody in there is trying to be the best person. You know what? A lot of fighters don't actually want to be the best guy in the world. Um, a lot of people just want to be fighters and say that they're fighters and just collect a check and have the fame that comes with it. The good thing about American Top Team is everybody down there is on the same page and try to become the best fighter in the absolute world. So it really works out, and that's why we're the best gym in the world, and that's why we'll continue to be the best gym in the world. Well, if, if Mikano did learn something from you, I think it's how to speak on the
1: mic. I mean, during, after that last fight, he put on quite the performance.
4: Yeah, 100%. I've been waiting for the Hanacho Mocano show to come out. That guy is so good. You know, if there is one person at American Top Team that I would say to have your eye on, it is Ben Moycano. I have been talking about him for years. Um, he's obviously a very funny guy and outspoken. Finally, he's getting a little bit more comfortable under the spotlight and in the microphone. But his skill speaker itself, he's very good. I think he might be the best guy on the ground um, in that weight division. So that's one guy, and there's a plethora of other guys at the gym to watch out for, but Anato is for sure somebody that you should be on on lookout for. You mentioned
1: Pedro Munoz. This is a guy that is a top training partner for lots of people because they they just love being around him. Kayla Harrison told me that she has trained a lot with him. Um, She unfortunately lost her fight this past weekend against Larissa Pacheco. Uh, I was wondering what you thought of that fight.
4: Yeah, tough fight for Kayla, but the good news is is Kayla's even tougher. Um, She's a girl that's going to bounce back. She's not going to hang her head. You know, she's a really tough mentally girl. So she'll pick herself back up. She'll be fine. Um, obviously, when you're that high level of an athlete, the losses are absolutely devastating. So I know exactly what she's going through. I kind of feel bad for her. Uh, there's not much you can really say. The only thing that will heal that is time. Um, she knows what she's done. She knows her future is still absolutely bright. She can still be the best female fighter on planet Earth if she really wants to. And I really do see at the end of her career her being the best female fighter on Earth. Uh, she's very, very skillful, obviously. She's always in the gym. She's always dedicated. And she has the mind and heart of a champion. Um, it was just a tough fight for her. But you know what? This is such a crazy game. You know, the fights can go either way any moment. You know, If you beat somebody 99 times, that doesn't mean you're going to beat them the 100th time. Uh, Again, it's an absolutely crazy game, and that's a girl that's just going to dust herself off and come back even better.
1: You talk about learning from your losses. You lost your one and only fight three years ago. against Erwin Rivera. He's a guy that uh, trains in the same region as you, former UFC fighter. Uh, What did you take away from that loss? I mean, that was in the fourth round, very late in the fight, uh, almost got to the fifth. Um, Talk about that loss and what you learned from it.
4: Yeah, I learned a lot. Um, I wasn't the most smart guy uh, back then. You know, I kind of like rushed things. Uh, I was still fairly new to MMA, um, but he beat me fair and square. Uh, I think I was winning the fight up until that last round. Um, But, you know, it's just stylistic things you can take away from it. He was a southpaw, and I didn't really have any too many southpaw looks at the gym. I didn't really think about a strategy too much. Um, I didn't realize fighting is pretty much just all strategy. I kind of was just headstrong. Uh, I went into that fight just thinking, holy shit, I'm just going to kick the shit out of this guy. I don't care if he's a southpaw or not. Uh, But, you know, strategically and and stylistically, you learn a lot. There was just stupid things that I was doing leading up into that fight. You know, I don't think I had my head on totally straight. Um, I wasn't really absolutely doing the things that a world champion would be doing. So, obviously, I learned a lot from that. You know, the most important lesson I learned from that was the taste of defeat. And that was the worst taste that I've ever had in my mouth in my life. You know, I hopefully will never taste that ever again Um, again but this is a crazy sport even with this fight December 9th at the Mohegan Sun Casino anything can happen I could be winning for 24 minutes and 59 seconds and then boom a knockout happens so obviously I'm prepared for, for a loss but you know what I'm also prepared for a win. Whatever happens, happens. I obviously think I'm so much better than this guy. I think I'm better everywhere than him. It would take a miraculous knockout or submission for him to win, but this is the crazy game. This is the game that I signed up for. I did sign up for Anarchy, and I'm just very much looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, I don't think people give you enough credit for the level of competition that you faced in the last, I guess, in in the span of 13 months in Bellator. You were fighting a lot of guys on the regional scene. You end up facing... Brett Johns was a former UFC fighter who had a lot of success in the UFC. He wasn't the guy that was released. He was the guy that just signed in free agency. Uh, Jornel Lugo. Uh, and then, of course, uh, in your last fight, Leandro Higo, a guy who, uh, again, I think deserves a lot of credit for how talented he is. Was that just kind of a product of your game stepping up to, like, new levels, I guess, between, like, 2020 and 2021? And, and how did you become so much better in your career that you were able to hang with, a you know, such tough competition in your recent fights?
4: Yeah, for sure. Number one, you know what? You always have to be ready for opportunity. When I had that Brett Johns fight lined up, it was actually a short notice fight. Somebody else was supposed to fight him. I was still on the regional scene and I got a call from my managers five days before the fight. And he said, do you want to fight Brett Johns, who was top 10 in the UFC, but now he's in Bellator. And I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I was so much ready for it. Um, and you know what? With that opportunity, you have to make the most of it. I knew it was my time to shine. I knew I was better than him. I knew I just had to have a smart, hard weight cut. No matter how hard that weight cut was, it was probably the worst five days of my life. Um, but I went in there and I dominated him. And that's kind of how people realized Danny Sabatello was for real. If I can do that to a guy on five days notice, you know, we'll see how really good I am. And then I just rolled with it. I, I kept the momentum. You know, I showed up at the best gym in the world, American Top Team, twice a day, every day. And if you do that, you have no choice but to get better. And I'm somebody that just absolutely listens to my coaches no matter what. So if I'm showing up and I'm listening to my coaches, then obviously I'm going to get a ton better. Um, and I rolled through and I, uh, I fought a hard, undefeated guy like Jornal Lugo. And when you're undefeated, your confidence is absolutely through the roof. So it's very hard to take somebody's O. I didn't just do that. I dominated him. I sliced him open. I made it very bloody, uh, very entertaining for the fans. Kept that rolling into the Leandro Higo fight, who was an absolute crazy man on the ground. His jiu-jitsu is insane, Um, but obviously I weathered that storm. I dominated him, and I just keep dominating these guys. You know, a, a good thing about me is not only am I electric on the mic and I keep winning, but I keep dominating. You know, my skills are matching my trash talk, and I think that resonates well with the fans. You know, a lot of these guys talk trash, and they don't back it up or they're really good in the cage and they don't talk trash. The good thing with me is I'm the entire pot. You know, I, I have everything going for me right now. I just need to keep it going. I just need to keep it smart. You know, show up at the gym every day, be dedicated and good things are gonna happen. What's your easiest
1: path against a guy like Ralph thoughts? I mean, he's a really decorated wrestler, division two, a two-time All-American. You wrestled, of course, in division one. Do you think it's just about that, about using your motor, about outwilling him, wearing him out over the course of five rounds?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think my best attribute is conditioning. You know, a lot of people think my best attribute is grappling, which it is very good. Um, But I would say my number one attribute is conditioning. And the good thing about this fight is it's five rounds. You know, five rounds is tailor-made for my style. I like to go, 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 put the pressure on and break these guys. You know, because no matter how good your technique or how strong or how fast you are, once you're absolutely dog tired, all that goes out the window. And I thrive in situations like that. So with the technique going into this fight, I think I'm better everywhere. I think I'm better on the feet. I I know I'm better on the ground. Um, I think we're going to see a complete mixed martial arts fight. We're not just going to see it as a kickboxing fight or a wrestling match or a jiu-jitsu match or a Muay Thai match. It's going to be all MMA. A lot of it's going to be on the feet. A lot of it's going to be on the ground. A lot of it's going to be ground and pound submission attempts. I think I just need to keep the pressure on but also fight smart. I think it's going to come to a point in the fight, maybe the late second or beginning of third round, Stotts is going to realize he's in over his head and he's going to start swinging for the fences and throwing up all these submissions to try to get lucky. Um, But a lot of times when you do that, you're overcompensating and you're just throwing with everything you got and you get even more tired. So I think that's even going to play more of a factor into it. Um, And I see myself finishing in the fourth round, whether it be a submission or a TKO.
1: Well, I know you have it in you because earlier in this interview, I laid down the gauntlet to not swear that much. I've got my swear sheet right here. And you swore less time than Kevin Holland did earlier today. So I appreciate you, sir. Uh, best of luck against Ralphie Stotts. It's Uf- uh, sorry, Bellator 289 uh, the day before the UFC event. It's in Uncasville, Connecticut. Friday night. Make sure you tune in. This tournament has been hot fire and we'll continue to be looking forward to seeing you do your thing.
4: Yep, absolutely. Thanks for having
1: me on. All right, it's combatants in cars getting coffee. I've got uh, Ralphie Stotts here. It's the, uh, the, the legendary car interview. I always love these, except I'm not in the car. So only the combatants get to be in the car for these interviews. Uh, appreciate your time, sir. You're taking on uh, Danny Sabatello. It's the semifinals of the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix. You are currently the interim champion of the world. And, uh, I mean, this fight has about as heat, much heat behind it as we've seen in Bellator. Um, the talk has continued leading up to this fight. Probably will continue during fight week. But I'm sure you're looking forward to getting that behind you in the rearview mirror. No pun intended with the car.
2: Um, I'm actually, I'm looking forward to, uh, the fight itself and, um, I don't know if this, this will be behind me necessarily, you know? Um, I don't like this guy, uh, genuinely don't like this guy, so I'm looking forward to punch him in the face. Um, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like looking forward to be over with because I'm enjoying myself, you know? Uh, I don't feel like he poses a threat to me in the fight. I feel like the biggest threat he, he poses is his trash talking, so, uh, like I'm, I'm reveling in it. You know, I'm, I'm accepting it for what it is. You know, I don't think it's very good, but you know, uh, he thinks otherwise. And, um, we also have a, a disagreement that I don't think he's a very good fighter and, uh, we'll get to settle that disagreement when we get, we'll get locked in a cage.
1: Well, absolutely. But I mean, the question with this particular fight is what's the path for Danny, right? I mean, if wrestling's the path, you're probably the wrong guy.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, that's where I stand, you know. I feel like okay, if our wrestling is somewhat the same, um, what what other skills are you gonna progress to like assert yourself in the fight against me? And I don't feel like you have that, you know? So uh like the talking is the best thing you got. And I've been I feel like I've been killing you in that. So I feel like the fight is gonna be more of the same, you know. I don't feel like the fight will be as exciting as the um the uh the trash talking, unless you like like one way massacres, you know. Uh, that's. I guess it'll be exciting in that regard.
1: Well, I just did the math. I mean, it's currently five thirty p.m. Central Time. You're in Houston, so you you're not really in driving. You're kind of just stuck, right? I mean, I'm guessing that's probably what the deal is.
2: Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what's going on. Houston traffic, uh, <laughs> which is something I didn't, you know, uh, account for when I moved back, but uh, something I got to deal with on the daily.
1: Well, I'm in Toronto, so I feel you on that one. I think both are top five bad traffic cities in North America.
2: Terrible. Like, I'm literally standing still. You can walk past me probably right now uh, and get to my destination faster probably.
1: <laughs> well, that's always uh, frustrating. You can get one of those bird scooters. I
2: think they have those in, in Houston. Yeah, they do. Like, a couple – my coach actually has one. Um, and he likes it. He doesn't live as far from the gym. He likes it. I'm. Th- I was thinking about getting me started, like one of those situations, you know, so I can just bypass. But so Houston don't have no sidewalks anywhere. There's like no sidewalks nowhere. So I mean, I guess I. I don't know if I, I'd be able to drive those on the street or not. But um, yeah, and like downtown, it has sidewalks, but all the rural rural areas, they don't have like sidewalks.
1: It's the same way in Dallas. I was there once. I was walking, and then the sidewalk ended. I was in the street. Like I, it They're just gone. I don't know what like, happens.
2: Like there's literally no sidewalks on either side. I'm like, what? Y'all don't care about our, us pedestrians? Like what's going on? What's going on?
1: Well, but, hopefully you'll, you'll get to your destination by the time this interview is over. Although I'd say it's probably unlikely. Now, uh, in terms <laughs> of the other side of the bracket, what do you think is going to happen with uh, with Patchy Mix and Magomed? It's a great matchup.
2: Yeah, I think it's a great matchup, man. I keep getting, I keep going back and forth. I feel like either guy can win. um and I'd be happy to fight either, either guy. I feel like both guys, uh, they present different challenges for me. Magomed being though that I beat him before he'll, he'll be more ready for me. I feel like the second time, uh, it's hard to beat somebody twice. Uh, patchy mix poses a different set of challenges, you know, that I, I'm pretty interested. Like I, I kind of want to fight patchy because I haven't fought him before and kind of see where my skills stack up. Cause he's performed pretty well in this tournament. Um, but it's, I really don't. I don't really know who's gonna win. You
1: know, before the tournament started, I was. I took a lot of exception to the fact that everybody wanted you to face Sergio Pettis. I mean, this guy is one of your best friends, one of your training partners. It seemed like everybody kept pushing the agenda on that. In fact, I think it was supposed to be the first round of the tournament. I'm glad. It de- <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that you have to face all these other guys before this finally. This is the way it should be. Before two guys that trained together for so long have to face off against one another.
2: Yeah, man, I feel so much better with the outcome, you know? I mean, I I'm agreeing, I, I'm, i like, sad um, that it happened to, had to happen that way, you know? I don't want Serge to be hurt, I, and that's, like, you know, uh, I don't want that to happen at all, but I also don't have to, like, deal with the feelings of hurting somebody that I like, you know, uh, which was, like, a tough thing for me to wrap my head around, especially when I was in uh, Milwaukee training at Rufus Sport, like, you know, uh, and, and I was, like, like, just give us a chance, you know, to not, you know what I mean, for something to go wrong or whatever. But I feel like Showtime, uh, they didn't want to lose that storyline, like two teammates fighting for a world championship, you know. Um, but, you know, everything happens for a reason, and I'm happy to be in the position I'm in uh, now. Um, I can wrap my head around um, – fighting him kind of at the end when I feel like there's more chips involved too like I've made a name for myself now Sergio Pettis already has a name he's always uh, already a great star um so yeah I think the fight will mean more you know um uh if we if we could have fought later
1: and honestly I don't think these fights should ever get made unless you really exhausted all avenues and by going through this tournament you'll basically have exhausted all avenues
2: exactly and that was my that was my idea in the beginning I was like I'm not, I don't want to fight Serge unless I fight every single body else. I fought every, and sometimes I, I fight some of them twice, you know? Um, even when I, I beat Magomed, which was like a number one contender spot. Uh, I didn't want to fight Sergio until I like cleaned out the division under him. And then I was, I was ready to fight him, you know? Um, but that's just cause I don't want to, you know, I don't want to freaking, um, I, I just, I get icky feelings about taking food off of my, you know, off of my homie's table. Um, But, yeah.
1: So what's your relationship with him like now in terms of you and Sergio? Do you you guys text back and forth? Does he give you strategies for how to beat these guys? Like, where where are you guys at?
2: Yeah, so as of now, like, uh, we probably haven't – well, we talk, like, back and forth every now and then, you know, on Instagram or, like, a birthday or something comes up. um, But it's not like uh, we're seeing each other every day. And I feel like it's, like – it's not, like, by design, but both of us are – like, low-key trying to, like, distance ourselves, um, just to, like, if we, if we have to fight, you know, it's it's easier for us to not be, you know, so, so close, I, I, I guess, you know, so we don't, like, we don't, it's not like we talk every day, he don't give me, like, game plans and stuff like that, but we're cordial, you know, and Sergio is a professional, you know, and we both understand this is a profession that we've chose, so sometimes these things happen, so even if we do fight, there will never be bad blood between me and Serge, um, Especially on my my end, you know, I feel like I owe a lot to him. Uh, he's helped me a lot in my career. I think he would say the same about me. So, uh, yeah, it's just just one of those things, man.
1: I feel like Sergio started a trend. Like he was down in that fight against Horaguchi, and then came out of nowhere and finished him at the end. Now we're seeing that happen all the time with Usman, with Israel. It's it's uh, it's pretty crazy that we're seeing this in such high level fights.
2: The year of the comeback in title fights, yeah, like title fights a bunch of big fights Sergio Pettis had one uh I mean some people can say I had one against Juan Archuleta Juan Archuleta was arguably um ahead two rounds um depending on how you look at it so uh yeah it's just like the year to come back kid
1: I guess I think it teaches the champions a lesson right like at some point you got to just remember that these guys are dangerous for I mean if you're at the absolute highest level these guys no. are going to be dangerous from start to finish
2: from bell to bell, exactly. From bell to bell, that was something that I learned. I learned early in my career for the beginning of the fight, but this helps me to, you know, uh, just stay on top of. Like I gotta be in there and I gotta be ready to rock from bell to bell for all five minutes. As, as uh, until that bell rings, I can't, you know, let off the gas.
1: Now I'm gonna ask Danny Sabatello this question. I'm wondering what you think his answer is gonna be. What is a bigger challenge for you, Danny? not swearing during this interview or facing Ralphie on what do you think his answer is going to be
2: uh he's going to definitely say uh not swearing um but he knows that I'm the biggest I'm the biggest challenge that he's had to face uh in the, in in the cage but uh I would uh, I would bet on him saying not swearing
1: I don't think he can do it i I'm, I'm <laughs> going to see if he can do it I don't think he can
2: No definitely not no his vocabulary is too limited for him not to swear like he got three words. He got fuck, shit, and uh, suck. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so that's all he got.
1: I should just have that clip like locked and loaded for like as soon as he swears, I just kind of just, oh no just no pump my bad. he
2: got he got fuck, <laughs> shit, and bitch because he says stocks is a bitch all the time.
1: <laughs> uh, seems seems like you spent a little bit too much time with this guy. You you, you started to pick up on on uh, all of his all of his like you said his full vocabulary.
2: Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I know a lot about him. You know, I not only do I do my research, but we spent a lot of time doing the media tour and I've come to find out, you know, which what I thought before. I just don't like him. You know, I just don't like me and him are not on the same wavelength. We don't we don't have like he said, we don't have a lot of things in common. Um, we don't go about things the same way. And uh, I don't I just don't like it. So I'm super excited to hurt him.
1: Now, I posed this question on social media. I'm going to take your division out of this, so forget about the bantamweight division. If someone yeah. said, you have to bet your house on one Bellator champion beating a UFC champion, who are you most confident in if you were to make that match?
2: Ha. Uh, I would say, not including my division, I would say um, 185. I would say middleweight. Especially right now.
1: So Eblin. Eblin versus uh, yeah, Alex Pereira. Johnny
2: versus Alex Pereira. Yeah.
1: I think that was the most common I I, answer. I, I,
2: you said what?
1: I think that was the most common answer that I received. Personally, I'd go yeah. That's, But I think you're you're just picking your poison.
2: Oh, Amasov versus Leon. Oh, that would be, yeah. That would be a good one, too.
1: I think people are so I, used I, I, to Usman being the champion that they, they forget that it's Edwards.
2: Yeah, that is, it's Edwards now, but I feel like, I feel like, um, Pereira is like so, so much behind or so, so far behind in the grappling. Um, I, I don't feel like Edwards as, is as behind as, uh, Pereira is. I mean, I, I I would guess, but I, I guess I don't know. You're I'd be too crazy.
1: scared to bet my house against Alex Pereira or against any human being on this planet. That's just me. I I just think this guy's it, striking is so otherworldly that I would be like clenching for the entire fight.
2: He is, but uh, you got like a wrestler who has like wrestling conditioning that'll you know uh not be in those situations. Um, my my thing would be like how how is he like being able to deal with uh deal with the wrestling? Like if he can create space and and land strikes while somebody is. Uh, you know, just trying to take him down. I don't feel like he's seen that. He's seen that yet, you know?
1: Well, I, I will know. say this. Ralphie on Superstats against Aljamain Sterling would be one heck of a fight. I can, uh, I can that, say that. That would be a great fight, man. That would be a great fight. I think so. All right, of so, well, course,
2: I think I win, but, you know, that's, <laughs> I think I win against anybody in the world. So.
1: Well, hopefully we see a great fight from yourself. Danny Sabatello is coming up next Friday. Uh, always appreciate your time, and thank you for doing this.
2: Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you. Thanks for bearing with me in this traffic.
1: He is Olivier Aubin Mercier, or should we say Olivier Aubin Millionaire, who uh, is now the lightweight tournament champion of the PFL. Congratulations. Big win for you. And of course, this was the goal when you entered the PFL to begin with.
7: Yeah, it was the goal. uh, And uh, hello, how are you? I'm doing well. Was there there a question?
1: Was there a question? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, this 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 was the goal. I mean, all along, this is uh, what you had intended to do. So, how does it feel? I mean, I guess to uh, Ah, to accomplish the goal.
7: Yeah, well, it it feels great. I mean, like uh, it's more the fact that all the weight on my shoulder are gone. Uh, I think that's the like. I I think that's that feeling is just like it's it's priceless.
1: Well, I guess it would be a silly question to ask how much pressure you felt going into that fight, or uh, because I imagine the the pressure is probably pretty high. So, what do you do to alleviate that in your mind going into that fight and try to remove the stakes from it, but also you know, kind of in the back of your head, know that the stakes are there.
7: Oh, yeah, it was really hard to to do that because, uh, like, of course, you're always thinking about uh, everything that could happen if uh, if you win this uh, this fight and uh i was really stressed about that i was really anxious but when i got into the arena like everything went away and i was like okay this is uh this is my life you know that uh, i really saw that i i was comfortable i was not thinking about any anything else than the fight uh, and i really felt great and actually <laughs> yeah that's pretty funny like so everything was going so great so great not thinking about the fight I get uh, to the, uh, for the entrance of uh, of my fight. Uh, the cameramen are there. They're like, okay, two minutes, two minutes. And there is Ferraz in my uh, back, uh, in my back. And he said like, let's go, LV 100% and forget about the million dollars, forget about all the fame that you're gonna get if you're uh, gonna win. I was like, why are you telling me that? <laughs> Don't no, don't don't talk about that. Like don't don't talk about the million bucks right now. Like you just make me think about that now. <laughs> so, so I was like, like, yeah, stop. And then yeah, so I was able to come back to it uh, into my head and be really ready for the for for, for the fight. But <laughs> <laughs> like when you told me that, I was like, oh, I, <laughs> I, I really thought it was pretty funny. Um, that he's telling me. <laughs> He's telling me not to think about the million bucks. Well, what do you think I'm gonna think about when you send that to me? You know, so you'd done all the work mentally to get
1: that out of your head up until that point, and then Faraz brought it right back yeah. right
7: before the fight. Yeah, exactly. I don't think about the tiger. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> and I sure, I'm sure it's also difficult for you standing across from Stevie Ray. This is a guy you've trained with before. A very nice guy who had essentially had to retire earlier in his career because of injuries, able to get back to a point where he is able to win a million dollars as well. Uh, how hard is it to detach yourself from that?
7: Uh, well, it was not that hard to uh, to tell you the truth. I mean, he was a good friend of mine, but um, he, Alexander Martinez was a friend of mine too. So, you know, um, it, it's part of the game and... Uh, uh, like I was not going to pull my, my punches, you know, I uh, I was going to go 100% anyway. And, um, uh, that's what I did. You know, uh, I, I was there the, I was the, the best of myself when I was in there. So, uh, if I, if I, if I was not there, 100%, it would be a disrespect, uh, disrespect for him. Uh, so no, uh, I, I don't, I, I don't disrespect Stevie TV So I went there and I did what I had to do.
1: Was this the most difficult year of your life because of all of the different things? Like you mentioned, two guys that you're familiar with, that you're friends with. In order to get to it's a million dollars at the tournament, you have to win all of these fights. You know How difficult and taxing is this on you mentally? Or do you like the fact that you had to just keep busy? You knew who your next opponent was going to be. The, the tournament format is a lot more structured.
7: Uh, it, was, it was the hardest thing I did, for sure. But it, it was weird, too, because it was great to know when I was going to fight. But at the same time, you know, you knew your opponent right away. So you're going to think about this guy for two months and he's going to think about you about for two months too. So the the feeling that this guy that you didn't see for a long time is always with you for two months is weird. It's really weird. Like Stevie Ray, you know, live in my house for, for, for the last three months and that was weird, <laughs> and I'm pretty lived in this house too uh, for three months. So it, I do think it was weird, but at the same time it was easier to know exactly what was the date. Uh, it was easier to uh, to to get ready for that. And in you know in between the I think the first and the second fight there was maybe two months, uh, two months and a half, and so you don't really have time. To uh, get stress uh, about the fight, and I think in between the second fight and the third fight, there's two just two months, so like it go really fast. Um, even though all fights are the the most important fight uh, of the season, the last one since it was like the uh, the end, like it was a little bit more stressful, and I had more time to think about that. So it was yeah the, the the last the last one was a little bit harder on the on the mind I would say.
1: This is a tough question for me to ask because I, I don't really know how to ask it without being very direct. But you're not the kind of guy who gets a lot of knockouts. This isn't exactly what you're known for. You're you're known mostly for being a very good technical fighter, uh, a good grappler. And I'm sure in practice you're not out there knocking guys out, at least intentionally. What does it feel like to get a knockout like that? To to land a right hook, picture perfect, right on the chin. You know that he's done as soon as it lands. How does that feel for you? Because I imagine that's not something you've experienced all that often.
7: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I had a TKO before, but it was not a knockout. Uh, so, I mean, I was really surprised. You know, like um, like a submission, you know when it's coming. Are eh? like you going to work for the submission? And, oh, I think I got it. Okay, let's go. And, oh, yeah, I got it. But the punch, like I didn't know I was going to knock him out, <laughs> so I was so surprised, like "Oh my God, what just happened?" And uh, so yeah, no, it was really like a great feeling, and I think it was the best ending of the season for me uh that could have possibly uh, happened. You know, it was not one-sided, like I clearly had the the uh, the the edge, uh, I think. Uh, but still he got my back and like some people like uh, it was a little bit stressful so there was like a back and forth fight over there and then end up with a KO I think that was the best outcome uh, that could happen you know Uh, in front of a lot of Quebecers at the MSG too, a lot of of Canadian people it was was such a great uh, moment uh, and it was even greater, because it was a, a finished with a KO.
1: He seemed surprised too. He came up to you afterwards and said, what happened? How did you beat me? So you mm-hmm. had to kind of explain to him what exactly went down. Have you spoken to Stevie at all outside of that interaction since the fight?
7: Yeah, uh, he texted me uh, after, and uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, uh, I hope he is doing great. Uh, uh, he's, he's a great man. He's a great family man, so I really, uh, hope he is good. And, but, you know, it's so unforg- unforgivable, uh, the MMA game and with PFL especially. Um, like, so I, I, like, I'm really happy that I won, but I still feel a little bit bad. Um, uh, like one thing can change everything. And, uh, this one punch changed my life and, uh, and probably his too, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the main event was a very good example of that as well with Kayla Harrison losing to Larissa Pacheco. It seems like mm. everybody is starting to dismiss Kayla Harrison now after one loss, right? Like that like she never belonged there to begin with. She was never that good. It's just incredible how you know how petty people can be after mm. a, a singular result where you don't even really know what she was going through leading into the fight or maybe on that day like you mentioned in the arena everything kind of has to click. Um. Even the smallest of things can set you off. It's, it's just uh, it's such a game of inches, and it's amazing how people can draw these conclusions off of one result.
7: Yeah. Well, it's part of the game, you know. It's uh, like that's what we do, you know. We bring passion, passion. You know, so people are really passionate about the fight, uh, and that's I think the reason why they maybe be go in the extreme. With uh, their take, and that's okay. I mean, it's part of the game, and uh that's why people like to follow, uh, to to follow athletes, to follow sports. You know, you you want to be op- opinionated. Uh, you want to talk about that. You want to uh, to you want to be the the smartest in the room about uh, some stuff. Yeah, you want to be different about your take about some stuff. So I understand, and I mean, it's part of the game. That's okay.
1: You're not the type of guy that gets overly emotional uh, when it comes to these kind of things, but there was a video that your coach Richard Ho posted on Instagram of you going to the bar for, I guess it was your after party, and people were chanting your name, and you were really overcome with emotions. Um, talk to me about that moment and what it was like walking in and being embraced by all of your fans. Uh,
7: yeah, it, it was really something special, you know, like... I didn't know that people were going to come in MSG. Like I knew some friends of mine were going to come, but that much people, and I really felt they were happy for me. And like it blew my mind that people were ready to do six, seven hours of car just to go see that. And they truly, they they truly were happy, you know, and uh, that happiness, I was able to to get a grab of it and um i think that's the reason why i got a little bit uh, emotional and maybe probably the fact that uh like (laughs) it was the hardest year of my life (laughs) physically so to know that everything that i worked for um end up in this moment i think it was really really uh great and uh, uh, well, like they were so giving to me, um, and I think that's the reason why I got a little bit uh, emotional, you know.
1: And last question for you before we started this interview, I asked how you were doing. You said, "Well, it's not a hundred percent," and then you you walked me through. I guess your daughter's <laughs> fish is ill. So I mean, you know, you're, you're a millionaire one day. And now, of course, you go back home and you're a dad again, and you know, life life moves on. <laughs> so, uh, you know, how how is this situation going to get resolved? And w- w- what's it like returning to uh, Quebec, after such a, a triumphant moment for you, and just returning to normal life.
7: Uh, it's it's great. I mean, like like I said, my my little bit of fish is uh, is not dead, but he's not strong. So now I'm trying to today I'm trying to save him. Uh, his name is Dracula. Uh, so I <laughs> I really hope uh, I'm gonna be able to save him because. Uh, uh, my daughter won't be uh, won't be really happy with that with the, my performance. Uh, she won't be impressed. So um, uh, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna tell you if I'm able to uh, to uh, to save him or if I have to try to do uh, to 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 buy a new one. But he's pretty special, you know. He's all red and white. So I don't know if I'm gonna be able to uh, to get a new one like this. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, let's cross finger.
1: A million dollars won't make all your problems go away. A $7 fish is what's what's bringing you grief today when you come home. It's a great metaphor for life.
7: Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Olivia, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Hopefully this time next year we talk about another million dollars for you uh, in next year's lightweight tournament, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. I need you to uh, enjoy your time off uh, until next year. And uh, I always appreciate your time. It's a, a pleasure seeing a Canadian like yourself have great success in Mixed Martial Arts. We've needed that as a Mixed Martial Arts community, and we appreciate that. So thank you for your time, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon.
7: Yeah, thank you so much. And let's bring uh, PFL in Montreal next year.
1: Big thank you to all of our guests on this week's TSN MMA show. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson Kevin Holland. Rafael dos Anjos, Amanda Hibas, Danny Zabatello, Ralph Stotts, and Olivier Oban, Millionaire. Great speaking with all of them, and uh, appreciate their time. If you'd like to check out any of my work, you can go to www.aaron.report. It can all be found there. Next week, I will be in Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada, for UFC 282. Headlined by Magomed Ankalaev and Jan Bojovic for The Vacant light heavyweight championship of the world. Looking forward to uh, covering that card. You can hear some of those interviews uh, either here on the podcast feed or at tsn.ca slash UFC. Additionally, in two weeks, I'm very excited about this. On December the 16th, I will be in the commentary booth, uh, the broadcast booth for Unified taking place in Mississauga. Um, And uh, hopefully if you are in the greater Toronto area or nearby, you can come and check it out and come say hi. Um, It's always really been a dream of mine to be part of a broadcast uh, booth for an an event. You know, early in my career, I was able to do it for basketball. Um, Not even early in my career. I mean, before my career, basically, I was able to uh, do it for, you know, a local television station and call university basketball games. And uh, to be able to do that, like I feel like maybe I took that for granted because that was such a fun experience and a valuable experience for me to be able to do that. And uh, I'm going to shake off some of that rust because that was about, let's say, I don't know, 18, 17, 18 years ago that I did that for Kojiko uh, Cable in uh, the Niagara region. And I get to hone those chops once more in the broadcast booth for Unified. So looking forward to that. That's uh, on December the 16th live on UFC Fight Pass. So I would love to hear your feedback on that if you get a chance to watch. So that wraps up the interview edition of the TSN MMA show. I will see you next week here for the UFC 282 preview. Until then, be kind, be well, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the
0: TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.